The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. We're drawing close to the end of our series in the book of Hebrews. And our reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 17. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 17. Uh, We like to stand for the reading of God's word just to remind ourselves that these are holy words. These are uh, sacred words. So, Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We thank God for his holy word. It'll help if I turn on the mic. Good morning. My name is Victor, <clears throat> one of the pastors here too. And um, as Pastor Scott says, we're wrapping up a series um, going through the book of Hebrews, and the series has been titled Jesus is Better, and as you will, as you have seen through the various chapters, there at various points, we would have, we would see Jesus being compared to various things, to various people, and always it comes out that he is better. And so today as we wrap up, we're going to see that again, but look for it carefully, okay? Now this chapter might seem like there is no theme to it. In fact, indeed, last week, Pastor Scott preached through five separate commands. Today, I'm gonna, we're going to see that there are six here in this passage. But there is a theme there still. It might be in staccato manner, if that's the way to pronounce that word. But I, I'm... I'm sure that you'll see as we follow, as we step through, that the theme of Jesus being better is in here. 
It's in the sinews, the tendons of everything that we do, of everything that we read. And this letter to Hebrews is the same. Now, you've heard it before that we should always remember the context for which a, a book, a letter has been written in. And for us not growing up, not having much reference to Israel and to the laws and to the Old Testament days, the way the Hebrews, the Israelites lived, some of the things you might have to stretch a little bit um, to make that link to understand what environment, how they understood the words that were given to them. And I'm hoping that I'll help you to bridge that today. But first, let me just, let me say a prayer as we uh, seek to jump into his word. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for such a beautiful morning. Thank you for what seems to be the impending spring. Thank you, Father, for the seasons that you have placed in this world, and even places where it's the one season seems to be hot or the one season seems to be cold. You are there. Your creation is evident in everything that we do and that we see. And Father, I pray that you will become evident to us through your creation today and through these words that you have appointed for us to hear. Father, I pray that uh, each person hearing will have their ears opened up and their heart prepared to receive these words. And Lord, we, we keep in mind, we remember those who aren't here in, this, in the, this body, in this building with us for various reasons. We thank you for the good report of, uh, the good health report of various people this week. Thank you that uh, you have been faithful in, in, in the lives of uh, Jerry Judge, in Jenna, in Jay, and in the lives of... Uh, new birth and preparations of new birth. Father, as we look into next week for those who are undergoing various medical procedures, we ask that you be with them. We ask that you remind them that uh, where, where uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much and that we as a church, we seek your righteousness and we are praying for all who need it, Father God. We thank you and we praise you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we're going to start from, chapter, from verse 7. And this first word, remember, is, I just learned this this week as I'm delving into this study. There are a few different words in Greek for remember. I have a good friend that... Um, we knew each other from grade school. Uh, I won't say how many years ago that is. But ever so, ever so often, so we, were, we grew up together, went through the same high, uh, elementary school, went into the same church, lived in the same community. And ever so often today, even though we've been apart for so long, when you know, we talk to each other, he has this amazing memory. He remembered what car my father drove when I didn't even remember. Um, that was one of the things with him. But So he has this amazing recall feature. But that's all when, we, when he talks about those things that was back then. That's all that happens, is that we recall and we might laugh, 
And in times we might weep when he recalls that so-and-so is no longer in the, life, in, the, in, the, in the land of living. But that's not this word. This word, remember, has an action behind it. It's recall and act. And in fact, let's, let's read just verse 7 alone and see what that says. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. So what's being asked there is to remember, to consider, and then to imitate. So it might be to recall, consider, and imitate, right? So we bring to mind something, but we don't just leave it there. We act on it. That's what the writer is asking here for the Hebrews to do. And in particular, this seems to be a, per, a certain set, of, a certain batch of leaders that are no longer with them. The words seem to imply that, that they've gone on. Perhaps they were part of the persecuted church that we read about last week that were in prison or were being uh, mistreated. Perhaps they died a natural death. Perhaps they were martyred. Perhaps they moved. But that particular batch of leaders seems to be leaving one that left an impression on the church, left an impression on the writer. So he's encouraging them to remember them and then consider their ways. Consider what is it that makes you remember, that makes them memorable, and then imitate those things. I pray that that you today will be able to recall those who have gone ahead of us and find that thing that is memorable, that links to the Christ, and imitate those things. That's what we are being asked to do. And I'm going to try and it might seem like the Hall of Faith, chapter 11, that those were uh, leaders that is being referenced here, but I don't think that that's the case. These were people intimate to the hearers, the original hearers. And while that's difficult for us to know and to apply based on what they were hearing and who they were talking about and what kind of life, what were the outcomes that we should, that those original hearers should consider i'm sure you can you can find folks you can find leaders spurgeon uh, can you imagine taking 95 pieces 95 i don't know what that would have looked like 95 pieces of paper if you would just imagine and going <laughs> and nailing that on the huge church door you remember that but then you act on that. Why would someone put their life at stake to go boldly stand in front of an institution that is the lifeblood of that community, nail some things up on the door, some words that call to, uh, that call to bear all the sin and all the error that is going on inside that church? <laughs> That's some guts some guts if we consider that I'm talking about Martin Luther 
and that was the start of the Reformation. That's some things to, that we can imitate. And it cannot be forced. Three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, all of a sudden in a, at a small Christian university, students were calling out their sin and were repenting. A revival broke out. And that one chapel service went on nonstop for days, for weeks. It's not, that's organic. We would need to recall that and examine our life. What is it that made that group of students become so fervent in their worship and in their repentance? And we can imitate that. I remember a particular <clears throat> kind of a dad joke of sorts. Um, this meter reader, uh, a gas meter reader, uh, he was about to retire. And he had his uh, replacement, a young guy, um, that he's showing the route. And so he's walking down this particular cul-de-sac and he's you know, reading the meters as they go along. They got to the end and... This is his last day. He's feeling his oats. And he says, okay, let's, let's race to the truck at the end of the road. He's challenging this young guy. So they take off, and they're in this foot race, neck to neck. The old guy is, <laughs> I'm proud of that. He's holding his own, and all of a sudden, he sees a homeowner come in behind them, keeping with them step for step. So they stop and ask her, what's going on? She says, when I see two gas men running down the road, I don't ask. <laughs> I just follow. Well, this next verse is kind of like that. Obey your leaders. I'm looking at verse 17, actually. I jumped to the end. I'm pulling all the, uh, the commands together for a reason here. In a second, you'll see it. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would not be an advantage to you. It would be of no advantage to you. So, first of all, recognize those leaders. This homeowner, she saw them wearing the gas uniform. She knew, they knew what they were talking about. If they're running, there's a good reason to follow. At that point, there was no time to ask questions. There was just time to follow. I would submit to you that there are times when the leaders of this church will need you to, to just follow and to submit to the leadership, not because they are anything, not because we are anything, but because we are following the one who never changes. And th there is some responsibility on, on, on those who are following too, to hold the leaders accountable. Not just to blindly follow, but there are times when you need to question what's, what is being taught, what is being taught, right? And the reason that that's possible is tied up in the next verse, verse 9, verse 8. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If the leaders are following that standard that does not change, then you can be assured that they're on the right track. And we as humans, we know that we change. We know our standards change. I remember uh, we used to have knockdown drag out fights in our home with what the girls were allowed to wear. And today, <laughs> that fight is lost. What I see being worn today, uh, going in for, uh, for the kids going into the schools, I would not even want my kids to wear inside the house sometimes. But because Jesus is the same, we follow that standard, we can be assured that we have an anchor. We can see where we need to go. We can follow the leaders because they are following that unchangeable standard. I love a parable, and that's why I told that story, to try and put something up against uh, the real word so that you can make a connection. That's probably the last time that I can use that, that particular parable because now we're changing so much that People would ask, what's a gas meter reader? Nobody walks down the street anymore, let alone writing down what the meter reading was. So it's in that same way, we need to understand, really make an effort to understand when these original hearers received the word, what context they were in to really make a link. So this next verse, verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. Pardon me for a second. hoping to stop the popping. I apologize for that. So yeah, do not be led away for by strange and diverse thinking. So that's where I mentioned earlier that as individuals, we have a responsibility. We need to recognize when strange and diverse doctrines are being introduced. And you need to hold your leaders accountable. It has been said elsewhere. If I, I think Peter said, if, if anyone comes preaching other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, reject them. If you hear that in this church, if you hear heresy in this church, call it out, reject it. That is part of your responsibility. So that is, that means you have to be able to recognize that, right? In this particular verse, the reference there kind of seems strange. All the commentaries that, I, that I've read, it seemed to be hovering around that it was likely that the Hebrews, because there were so many dietary laws, they were kind of hung up on food and what, that there was some reason for the Jews who were now believers hanging on to some ritual or some uh, belief about food. And it was not 
strengthening them, so to speak. So the, the, the writer is saying, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. So watch out for, for, for things like that. Uh, in the Catholic Church, there's a thing called transubstantiation. And I've learned about that. And a whole lot goes in behind it. And there probably was some reason for that uh, doctrine to come about. I don't know what it would be. But that is a doctrine of where when you take the elements, the blood, I mean the uh, uh, wine and the bread, the belief is that those actually get converted into Jesus' blood and Jesus' body for us to partake in. And thereby we are saved because we're partaking in and. And I'm looking on so at some of you, and you're going, what? Where did that come from? And I know there are many Catholic churches perhaps today that don't really go there, but that was at the case many years ago. So watch out for strange and diverse teachings. If it is diverting away, if it doesn't point to Jesus, if it doesn't link back to the gospel, that's a clue. Because Jesus never changes, right? I'm really moving along pretty quickly. So those three commands that we just went through are one thing. Remember your leaders. Obey those leaders and submit to them. And do not be led away by strange teachings. There's onus... There's an onus on you there pointing towards uh, interacting with the leaders. And there's that linkage that where the verse, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, ties it all together. We're going to turn a little bit of a corner and set things up with verse 10. We have an altar from those from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So those who serve the tent, that reference is to the Jews back then who were still in Judaism. The tent meaning the tabernacle. That is who they served. Those who did not believe that the Messiah came. Those who were not a part of the way as Christianity was being referred to back then. They have no right to eat at this particular altar. Now the altar is one that, that is where sacrifices were being made. Uh, and in verse 11, it says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, they are burned outside the camp. So the, the animals were sacrificed on the altar. The altar became a sacred place. The animals, and in particular on the Day of Atonement, that annual Day of Atonement, they would take the animals outside because the animals were now defiled with the sin that for which he was, it, it was sacrificed and it was defiled, no longer need 
to be close to people because they don't want to be defiled, so they took it outside the camp and burned. Now, I'm not very versed in the, in the sacrificial system, so I may have not articulated that uh, quite well. But that's what is being referenced here, is on that altar, they're serving that perpetual sacrifice, sacrificial system. That, but earlier, we saw that in the, in the letter, Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. There was no need to, to perform any more sacrifices because what he did was complete. And, and Jesus' suffering happened outside the gate. He was taken outside on a cross, a shameful Roman device, a very torturous Roman device. He was taken outside of Jerusalem. And he was crucified at Golgotha, and it was actually a dump. So very shameful, very unclean environment that Jesus was crucified in. So the Jews, if, you're, if they were serving the tent, serving still the old sacrificial system, they would see Jesus as a, a reproach. In fact, that's what he's referred to later on as we'll go into that. And it might seem kind of harsh to say that we have an altar where they have no right to eat at that altar, to come to that altar. And it might, but that's the truth. <clears throat> and we kind of, we say that of our communion when we take communion. If you're not a believer and participating in something that Jesus went through to remember what he went through is dishonoring and that also was addressed already earlier in, in Hebrews. I'm not going to delve into that. So Jesus, once and for all sacrifice. We're being encouraged in verse 13 to go out to the camp to be with him. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. That's calling to a lot. But let's read verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Meaning even staying in the city. If you don't go out to the camp, that is not yours. I remember this, this reminds me of a, the old hymn <clears throat> that I'll paraphrase where it says, Well, I'll, I'll just, I had it, I lost where it is, but it's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look forward, look towards his wonderful grace. For the things of this world 
will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And if we're living in a city and we have the Holy Spirit in us, that city is just going to start feeling strange. What does that look like? It might look like that school district in Arizona where a school board member looked, uh, they decided or they encouraged the whole board to vote to break a contract with a local Christian university who was bringing their interns into the school to help the interns learn and to help the school provide teachers. They broke that contract because the university had on their website that they glorify God and that they want and that they were sticking to uh, spreading the word. <clears throat> to them, that sounded natural. We don't want religion in the school. We don't want the teachers proselytizing our kids. But to us, who are believers, we're going, oh, this is uncomfortable. But remember, earlier in, in Hebrews, we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we are to endure that. We can hold on to the promise that when Jesus says, I will be there with you, that he will be with there. He will never leave or forsake us. We saw that at the end of uh, Pastor Scott's message last week. And where does that drive us? That drives us to worship. That makes sense. How can being going outside the camp to Jesus to be in a strange place or living in a strange place drive us to worship? because we're no longer of this world. And to complete who we are is to glorify God. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. It's calling us to worship. So that's the fourth command. Well, the fourth command actually was go out to the outside the camp and bear their approach with, with Jesus. And here we are being encouraged to worship him. we have no lasting city what becomes our city a worship community this is where we're encouraged and again earlier in, in Hebrews we're encouraged do not forsake the gathering together but worshiping is more than just 
coming on a Sunday. Call is for us to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Continually. 724. And that praise is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That name to the Hebrews back then, the Messianic Jews, those that were believers, they understood all the names that were used by in the Old Testament. And I'm going to put a list up just to help you see. It's kind of a device that as we offer up a sacrifice of praise, it's not just praise God. It's kind of like we're not just asking you to remember. It's remember and act. This is to praise God with an intended purpose. Now, the name of God is important because that is his attribute, though, and it represents often the things that he is to us. Like he is our Lord God Almighty. He is the most high God. He is the everlasting God. So when we praise him, this is the context in which we should praise him. That he is the one who there is none above him. So he alone is worthy of praise. But it goes on. Other names that's listed is Jehovah Nissi. He, the Lord, is my banner. That he means he is the one that provides my identity. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord heals. Many of us have seen that, yes, healing happens. Jehovah Shama means the Lord is there, there with us. He is our righteousness, and he sanctifies us in all that we do. He is working on us to reconcile him. Even in the Old Testament, grace was being offered through the, that sanctification. And we praise him because he will provide, and we know that. We praise him because he is peace, and yes, he is the Lord of hosts. Hosts meaning an army. He has an army at his beck and call. But there's one other thing that I want to show you. Verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So as the author is encouraging us to go outside the camp, he's encouraging us to offer up sacrifices of praise, to do good, and to share. No, he's not talking about communism either. There is... I want to show you now is that matches up to what Jesus spoke about. Because here the author said, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
But I want you to recall what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, the greatest two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we are praising God continually, that's a call to loving the Lord our God with every fiber of our being. And using the names that he is known by helps us to put things into perspective. He is our provider. Praise God. I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. But also, love your neighbor as yourself. Do good. Share what you have. And sharing what you have here is not just physically sharing your food, sharing your resources, sharing your talent. It is sharing the word, sharing the spirit that indwells you. And whether you know it or not, evangelism is a natural to man. We are are natural evangelists. You might have heard me say that before. Because what happens when you get a good piece of cheesecake... For me, my wife just rolls her head every time because I will go, this is good. Why don't you taste it? That's evangelism. So we are being called to share what we have outside the camp. As the psalmist says, we're encouraged to to, to say to the to say to others, taste and see that the Lord is good. And doing good will be hard sometimes. Especially if when we're doing good, it's not received well. It's received with uh, with hatred difficult word when you by doing good and you're speaking to someone and you're telling them that what they're doing is wrong is sinful causes a schism in that relationship it's just something that we have to do calling a spade a spade so to speak So hopefully, when you hear the phrase, sacrifice of praise going forward, that won't seem like a a simple phrase anymore. We no longer see that as if it were, you know, um, milk. When you praise God, we need to see that as if we just received solid food, not just milk of just simple praise God thank you Jesus it would be like the I've heard of a a choir was looking for a lead singer and so they had some auditions they had one person come in and he sang amazing grace on perfect 
everything was done well. He was uh, on pitch, so to speak. He, the cadence was exact. His, the keys were correct. Then someone else came. When he sang Amazing Grace, everyone hearing it just started to bawl. Why? Because what was inside of him was coming out. So when we praise God, what is inside of us is going to come out. So are you going to praise him technically right? Or are you going to praise him with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with every fiber of your being? Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And I would encourage you to uh, think about praise in a whole new way today. In fact, I'd encourage you to think about communion in a whole new way. Because this last slide I want to show you, and I, uh, Ron, if you could leave that up as we go through communion. <clears throat> These are the names attributed to Jesus. When we take communion, no, it's not transubstantiation. But do not take it lightly. We are remembering the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for us to be saved and who redeemed us so that we can be reconciled with God. Sacrifice of praise is embedded when we take communion. We praise him for his sacrifices. We join him outside the camp to offer up our sacrifice of praise. Father in heaven, I thank you for Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you that your word has been fully revealed to the extent that you want us to know. Help us, Father, not to see what is not there or to add what is not there. Lord, as we approach the table to remember what your, the sacrifice of your son Pray that each heart here will be softened, will be praising you, will be remind will be re reminded of just the terror, the horror that he went through as a man, but then be reminded by by him as God, redeeming us in the process. It's in his name we pray. So we're going to take, we're going to participate in communion. And I'd invite you, if you are a believer, to join us at this table. If you are, as this passage says,